2: old-school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey,
3: everybody, it's me, Josh. And for this week's Select, I've decided it's time for a rousing bout of goofy history, with our 2015 episode on the Nazis who invaded the United States during World War II. I won't give anything away, but suffice to say, it's the kind of topic that records itself. So, relax. Let me give you a quick shoulder up there. Very nice. And enjoy this classic Stuff You Should Know app.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
3: Hey and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there. This is Stuff You Should Know. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> We're going to channel our Stuff You Missed in History class. Yeah. I'm not sure if they've done this or not. Have you, Are you? I don't know. So, um, Chuck, I don't know if you know this one because it didn't come up in this article. But back in World War II, mm-hmm. did you know that the Japanese actually carried out bombing campaigns, two of them, in Oregon? Uh, I did know that. Oh, you did? I'm a bit of a buff. Isn't that insane?
4: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of forgotten history or little-known history that you read it. And uh, thank God for, like, the Internet because someone will post an article and say, I bet you never knew this. Yeah. And then you're like, what?
3: Yeah. That's pretty much the function of the internet, that, yeah. what you just <laughs> described, you know? Sure. So this one, I think I learned about this from, unsurprisingly, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader years and years and years ago. Oh, yeah? But definitely not in this kind of detail. It turns out that in World War II, in uh, 1942, I uh-huh. believe, in uh, Armagansett, New York, which is on Long Island, and Pontevedra Beach, Florida, which is just south of uh, Jacksonville, yeah, um, Nazi saboteurs landed. They invaded America. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. <laughs> it really is. What's even more remarkable is how badly their operations went. Yeah, what's remarkable
4: is—well, not remarkable. What's—thankfully, uh, they chose a bunch of dopes. Um, half-hearted dopes. Half-hearted dopes who— I don't know if they didn't do their research. We'll we'll get into how they picked these these schmoes. Yeah, but it um, didn't go so well.
3: No, it really didn't.
4: But if they had to pick some like the right guys, it might have been a whole different story.
3: Oh yeah, totally. In this war, and and the FBI, and especially J. Edgar Hoover, really lucked out that these guys were half-hearted dope. Well, not if you ask him. No, <laughs> it was just he might as well have worn a cape around the office. Yeah, you know. Well, he may have and little else. <laughs> <laughs> so um, back in World War II, even before World War II or before the U.S. entered the Second World War, Hitler had this great fantasy of sending New York City up in flames. Yeah. Like he really wanted to just destroy New York. And uh, Werner von Braun, the uh, guy who helped get America to the moon, yeah. was working on a, a rocket program that could strike – uh, the United States from Europe that was one thing never fully realized no um, because the war came to an end before they could develop the, the right kind of missile but they were working on it yeah and they were also working on long range bombers that could fly out of Europe all the way to America's east coast and bomb
4: yeah apparently Hitler used to literally sit around and watch like film footage of cities burning and like fantasize about New York City hmm
3: crazy yeah well he was pretty crazy sure um but he finally realized that like if he was going to get new york mm-hmm. the best most efficient most at hand way to do that was to send saboteurs into the united states to infiltrate and do new york themselves that's right you know terrorists essentially well yeah the only thing that kept them from being considered full-fledged just straight up terrorists is because we were formally at war with this country so yeah they were, they were considered officially spies and unofficially saboteurs.
4: Yes. Uh, should we shout out the articles here? Yes, let's. Right off the bat. I read, well, I read a few. I read one on uh, Damned, interesting, which was good. Uh, there was one you sent called World War II, uh, German saboteurs invade America mm-hmm. in 1942.
3: Yeah, that was um, on History Net. History Net. Yeah. And I feel like there was one more. There was a Der Spiegel
4: article. Oh, yeah. That's one. I looked
3: um, called Operation Pastorius, Hitler's unfulfilled dream of a New York in flames. Yeah. Poor Hitler.
4: I know. <laughs> His dreams failed. So uh, World War II hadn't been raging for long for the US when this happened. It was um, right after uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed. And Hitler said, you know what? They think they're over there. They're a long way from us. So they probably feel pretty pretty safe. Mm-hmm. So let me undermine that, and let me uh, devise this plan. Um, and it was originally going to be a, a wave of saboteurs, like right. every you know four to six weeks, they were going to be sending in small teams of of terrorists slash spies right. to wreak havoc on the U.S. And uh, thankfully, it didn't work out that way, so it was kind of scrapped.
3: Yeah, the um, the Abwehr. I think that's how you pronounce it. You're the one who knows German. Up there. Is that right? Yeah. So that was the um, the basically the sabotage unit of the German military intelligence corps. And these guys had kind of perfected their craft with explosives and sure. terrorism and, and um, all that jazz yeah. in European theaters already in the war. And so they set up a school, a terrorist school, which... Supposedly, these guys were trained in like jujitsu as well as explosives and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll bet it looked a lot like um, Enter the Dragon in there, but with Germans, you know?
4: Yeah. I wonder if they were trained in kung fu school (laughs) on an island somewhere, but this is in the woods. I wonder if they, in the Black Forest, perhaps? Yeah. I wonder if they were trained in uh, peenuckle and movie watching and uh, car-, car buying. <laughs>
3: I think that just came naturally. <laughs> and
4: yeah. rolling over and singing like a canary.
3: <laughs> so the uh, the Abwehr um, selected a man. His name was uh, Walter Cap, or is that Cappy? It'd be Walter Cap. Well, Walter Kapp, who <laughs> was a, a pudgy, bull-necked man, as described in the HistoryNet article. And the reason that they selected him to head up this operation, which Cap came to um, nickname as Operation Pastorius, which is named after Francis Daniel Pastorius, one of the early German immigrants to the United States yeah. who arrived in Philadelphia in 1683. The reason they selected Cap for this operation was because he um, had lived in America— for 12 years already. So yeah. he was, he was, he understood America, how it functioned, what targets should be struck, that kind of stuff, Sure. and they said, select your teams.
4: Yeah, and so he put a donkey on the wall and got a, a tail <laughs> with a little pin on it. Right. <laughs> now, what he did was, he did some research and he went through the records of something called the auslan Institute, Yeah. and uh, they were big on getting Germans back to Germany.
3: Right. Ones that had emigrated to the United States. Once all over war the broke world. Out. Yeah. Okay, so specifically the ones he, were look- he was looking for were ones who had been in the United States.
4: Yeah, in this case.
3: And a, l- a lot of these people had been in what was called the Bund. Or is it the Bund?
4: Uh, I would say it's a Bund, the American Bund, which okay. was like the, basically the Nazi sympathizers in the United States. Right. And they would set up little shops all over... The country.
3: Yeah, and they would speak out against um, Franklin Roosevelt and um, speak in favor of fascism. And apparently, they managed to get 20,000 people at a rally at Madison Square Garden once. By holding a Knicks game? Pretty much. (laughs) uh, I don't think the Knicks could even get 20,000 people (laughs) to come out to Madison Square. Um, But they were so uh, unpredictable and radical here in the United States that even the Nazi Party officially distance itself from these guys in well, the boon. Well, yeah, officially. Unofficially they recruited from their ranks sure. specifically for Operation Pastorius.
4: Yeah, so what he uh he found some some blue collar dudes um all but two of them had been Nazi party members, which was a good start. Uh four dropped off right off the bat and that left them with uh what would be uh eight dudes which they divided up into two teams of four. Right. Uh, one leader on each side and then three uh, dopes below them,
3: with with Cap at the head of the whole thing.
4: Yeah, even though he he didn't come over to the United States for the operation, he was just sort of running the training initially.
3: Yeah, and he he was watching him do jujitsu. I guess so. <laughs> so here, in mean, the hilarious Germans yeah. doing jujitsu well, in the woods. Really. I don't think so. It just seems a little like you know, neighborhood ninja camp kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> Well, they had to train in some sort of hand-to-hand combat. No, they're saboteurs. They're not. They don't need to know that. They're not, they're supposed to know how to blow up a bridge. Yeah, but what if they like, get caught in the middle? They gotta like you turn and run away, jujitsu somebody down. No, you just run if you're a saboteur. <laughs> well, that's some foreshadowing right there.
4: So uh, here are the players on uh, on one t- on team one. We'll call it team um, einz How about that? Is that one sure? Okay. Uh, on team Eintz, you had the leader George John. Uh Dosh and he was thirty nine he was the oldest guy, and uh <laughs> he was so old i know thirty nine and he was picked because he was um he was a smooth talker and he was apparently just seemed very American, which was if you're gonna stick some Germans over there to to be saboteurs, it's probably good if they can pass themselves off as just regular good German Americans
3: right, plus also you have the added benefit of not having to teach them to speak colloquial English, sure. Um and they already know the terrain. They know the culture.
4: Where's Coney Island,
3: right? I want
4: a hot dog. Exactly. Yeah. So they were all good. Right. Yeah. Was that Count Dracula?
3: Huh? No, that oh. was
4: uh, that was my German <laughs> okay. saboteur. I got you.
3: <laughs> so that's why they went with the guys who had already spent time in America. Plus, they it also showed a um a pretty significant loyalty to your homeland, the fatherland, in this case. Yeah where when war breaks out, you go back to where the war is being fought sure. to support it. Yeah. You know Same what I mean? Yeah. So they're like selecting from the Auslands Institute roles of emigrants who were also boond members, it seemed like a, a just a knock it out of the park group of guys.
4: Yeah. So um uh, Dosh, he was uh he actually did, like you said, served in the German army in World War One, came to America, uh, worked as a waiter and then in 1939, said, "You know what? Duty calls. I'm going back home." Right. Um, the second guy on the first team, Ernest Peter Berger, he was um, supposedly a smart guy, and he had an interesting story because he was he had long been a Nazi since they said as you know as long as Hitler himself had been a Nazi. Yeah,
3: he was part of the beer hall push. Yeah,
4: he was a, a what you call a what's it, Early adopter. He was of Nazism. Yeah, <laughs> he really
3: was, and, and he he actually had fled Germany. For the United States because he was afraid he was going to get brought up on um, brawling charges. That's right. He liked to fight.
4: Yeah, and he stayed there for about six years and then uh, worked as a machinist in the Midwest. Uh, He even joined the National Guard, the U.S. National Guard. Yeah. And um, became an American citizen.
3: Yep. And then he went back after Hitler gained power, right?
4: Well, he went back mainly because of the Great Depression. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but I mean, it coincided. But he was like, "Yeah, this place stinks now."
3: Yeah, and Hitler's in power. I'm going to go become a brown shirt and rough up people on the street, which is what he did, pretty much, because he really did love to fight. And um, the brown shirts were purged in the night of the Long Knives by Hitler and his uh, cronies. Yeah, and um, Berger, was it was Burger, right? Yeah, he 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 managed to. Not be killed yeah. during that purge.
4: Yeah, so he was working with his buddy um, Ernst Rome uh, of the stormtroopers, like serious business.
3: Right, and Rome was actually killed during the purge. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah, they, they put apparently, they put a pistol in his cell with him and gave him 10 minutes to kill himself. Yeah. And he said, if, uh, if you want me dead, Adolf's going to have to do it himself. And they came back. With (laughs) Hitler, he was standing there, and Hitler's like, "What is going on here?" Um, And the guy was standing there with his shirt off, with his chest bared to him. Yeah, supposedly, and they just shot him in the chest point blank. Yeah, and the head of the brown shirts went down. So that didn't work out for him. No, but Berger did survive this.
4: Yeah, he did survive and uh, went off to college. But then he wrote a uh, a a paper about the Gestapo that was not too favorable. And he got sent to a concentration camp for his efforts for 17 months.
3: Right. And then when he was released, they said, you can come out, but you have to go off with the army.
4: Yeah. They harassed his wife. It was, I don't know that he was the best pick.
3: Right. Like, now, now that I think about it. This guy that we've antagonized <laughs> yeah. and put, thrown in prison and then forced into the army. Sure. We also killed his boss.
4: Yeah. Harassed but his wife. We'll trust him as a saboteur. <laughs> yeah, as a team of one of eight. <laughs> right.
3: So Berger is the right hand man to Dosh's team on Team, Einst? team Einst. Einz? Team uh, Einz. E I N Z. E I N Z. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then there were other. There were two other dudes: Heinrich Heink. Right. That's a-, a great name. And Richard Quirin. Yes. And they were a couple of machinists who. Um, we're a couple of machinists. They'd been in America for a while, came yeah. back, and were selected for this team.
4: Yeah, basically, they went back to Germany, started working at uh, Volkswagen, and, um, you know, I, I guess we're probably eager to leap on a, a top secret job like this. Sure. It's probably appealing
3: to these guys. Right. You know? So that was Team Eins. We'll talk about Team Zwei. Zwei. Yeah. <laughs> right after this. Yeah.
0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it!
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
1: So you write the books, Gene, and time on the business. I understand now, it's a wise man Marie marries a wiser woman.
0: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old oh, oh, oh. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics,
0: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
3: podcasts. So, Chuck, uh, tell us about the smiling faces on Team Spy.
4: <laughs> well, Josh, Team Spy was led by a man named Edward Curling, uh, <clears throat> or Edward, I guess.
3: Who, as I take it, is the only competent person in this entire mission.
4: Yeah, He seemed like it, right? (laughs) Kind of. A little more than the rest? Yeah. Comparatively
3: Um, speaking, he seemed like a a criminal genius. Yeah,
4: that's a good point. Um, So he was also uh, one of, uh, had gone to America in 1929 to work, uh, married a a German woman there, and then they worked together as butler uh, butler and cook for a little while. And then he said, you know what? I I don't like you anymore. I think I want an American woman. Mm -hmm. So he did that. And then uh, when the war broke out, he tried to sail to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm not sure if he was a mastermind either now
3: that I think about it. Well, he showed a lot of initiative. Well, good point. And uh, he was turned back by the um, the Coast Guard, but he finally made it to Germany um, in 1940, and he ended up working at the Ministry of Propaganda.
4: Yeah, I guess with Goebbels, huh? Uh,
3: yeah. Sure. And when he uh, tried to... Um, sail to germany that one time he actually had a, a a guy with him named um was it herbert neubauer i believe
4: oh was neubauer on his boat
3: yeah he was on that crew Uh ah. and so he would have been turned back as well so um so he was a natural fit right and they knew each other and curling actually recommended Herman neubauer uh to be part of the team he's like he can hoist a sail <laughs> yeah what else do you need to know he was in the boond who cares
4: uh, there was the, the youngest member of his crew at 22 was Herbert Haupt. And um, he moved to the U.S. when he was just five years old. Yeah. And so I don't know that he was a great choice because he was practically American.
3: Yeah. And he, you know? he was also not so smart. Or let me put it this way. Experienced? He was not experienced. Right. A little, a little green. Yeah. A little wet behind the ears. Sure. Um, and then the last guy, Werner Thiel... He, surprise, surprise, was a member of the Boond, and uh, he was working in a war plant. So just this weird, hodgepodge, ragtag group of guys were selected. Only two people out of the whole original twelve were had been in the military. Yeah, this sounds like a m- movie in the making. Oh yeah. It, but
4: it just, if it would have had a great third act, it probably would already be a movie. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, it is lacking a third act.
4: I imagine, like, when if someone had tried to develop this, they're like, this sounds great so far. It's going great. And then, oh, that's how it ends.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Shelf it. Yeah. Um, so these guys are put together, they're sent to the Abwehr school yeah. to learn jujitsu. Sure. And the oldest guy, George Dosh is like, low kick, low kick, oh, my hip. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they were
4: also studying, like, explosive techniques. And, right, um, and wiring. Not just explosive jujitsu techniques, <laughs> right? but real explosive.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, wiring, detonation, timers, all of this stuff. They got to go on field trips to um, power plants and bridges and canals yeah, and fun. see, like, where the weak points were. Yeah. Um, And all of this took place over an intensive 18 days of training. That's it. They got 18 days of training.
4: Yeah, and apparently Dosh, the leader of Team Einz, wasn't even... uh, I read one account that said he basically kind of snoozed through most of it, (laughs) which would go on to explain a few things later.
3: (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. 18 days, and you can't even stay awake to learn how to blow something up. Seriously.
4: Um, All right, on May 23rd, they were given their assignment, um, and these were... I mean, this was pretty smart. The assignments were they oh, had a yeah. good they had a good plan in place. Small teams of dudes. Uh, Dasha's team was assigned to destroy quite a few things: um, hydroelectric uh, plants at Niagara Falls, mm-hmm. uh, makes sense. The aluminum company of America, uh, the factory in Illinois, Tennessee, New York. Yeah, three plants and hey. the Philadelphia Salt Company's cryolite plant, which apparently supplies raw uh, materials for aluminum.
3: Right. And the reason they wanted to go after aluminum was because aluminum production in the United States, the output was greater than all of Europe's, both sides, axis and, or no, I'm sorry, all of the axis's aluminum production put together. And aluminum is a very, very valuable thing during war. You use it to make aircraft frames. Oh, yeah. You use it to make um, the interiors of ships. Uh, apparently you use it for everything from, like, MREs, like the field ration tin cans. or yeah. Well, not tin cans, aluminum cans. Yeah. <laughs> but all of this stuff comes in handy. And if pinwheels? You can, if you can, sure, pinwheels, <laughs> yeah. like the good ones. Yeah. If you, um, but those, man, you can cut your finger off with one of those things. Yeah. Uh, if you can cripple aluminum production, you can put a serious dent in the wartime effort.
4: Yeah, it was, it was a smart play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they are also told to bomb um, locks on the Ohio River between uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and Pittsburgh. Yes. So disrupting uh, transportation. That, sure, that would have been a huge deal.
3: They, they would just strap a bomb to a pack mule that was <laughs> supposed to be pulling a, a boat along the canal and kaboom. So that's Team
4: Heinz. Yeah. Team Spy. Curling's team. They said, all right, you guys, we want you to concentrate on railroads Uh, because we saw during the American Civil War destroying railroads is a great way to cripple an army. Sure. Um, They blew—and I don't think that's where they got the idea. You know, it's long been a wartime thing to destroy railroads. I see. Pennsylvania Railroad Station at Newark. Right. Uh, The horseshoe bend section of railroad track near Altoona, Pennsylvania, Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad, parts of it, the New York Central Railroad's Hellgate Bridge, uh, locks and canals in St. Louis, Cincinnati, Ohio, and the water supply system of New York.
3: Right, and they were also told to carry out acts of general terrorism to scare people in general. Yeah. Bombing Jewish-owned department stores, um, locker rooms at um, train stations, just basically just foment, like, real fear and make Americans feel like Wow, America's being struck.
4: Yeah, we're vulnerable.
3: Right. Um, and so the guy said, okay, let's do this. And they 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 shipped out on two different subs from Lorient, France. U-boats, baby. This is Germany. Yeah, okay. Unterseeboats. boats. U-boats. Yeah. Um, they left on U-584 and U-202. And um, they had... Each team had four boxes, three of, like, dynamite and other explosives, and then a fourth box of things like timers and um, detonators and wiring and all that stuff. Sausages. Sure, for just in <laughs> case they got a little hungry on the trip. Yeah, it was Germans after all.
4: Right. Uh, they also had a lot of money. A they lot. Had, uh, roughly about a million dollars today. Um, at the time, each group had 50 grand. And they needed this to travel and to live and to bribe people and pay folks off.
3: Right, in cash. So they had oh, yeah. in what's equal to about a million dollars today in cash on them yeah. in nothing greater than a $50 bill. Yeah,
4: that's a lot of money. Yeah. Like physically a lot of money. Uh, each member was given $9,000, 5 of which, which is very funny, like uh, team leader is going to hold on to this. Right. And you can keep four yourself in your money belt yeah. and only carry like 450 in your pocket. Right. And um, that should be enough dough to carry out this plan, was the idea.
3: Yep. And then the uh, the team leaders also got handkerchiefs. Yeah. That had um, the names and addresses and things of contacts. Friendlies. In, in invisible ink written on them. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh huh. So this is like a bona fide <laughs> spy, yeah. espionage, terrorism operation. Again, great movie in the making so right. far. Yep. So the. Um, the, and again, I think you said before that like Hitler was planning on sending several waves or wave after wave. Apparently, the schedule was every six weeks they were going to send one one or two teams to the United States.
4: Yeah, I got. I mean, it was a really s- smart and scary plan. Yep. Um, because catching you know a, a tiny team of four guys who can assimilate as Americans um, or at least good German Americans, that's that's tough to catch.
3: Yes. So Chuck. Yes. U uh, 202, which actually left two days after U 584, showed up off like 50 yards off the shoreline of Long Island, and, um, and that's
4: just frightening to think about. Yeah, there was a
3: German U <laughs> boat 50 yards off of the the shore of Long Island. Yep. Um, on uh, June 12th, 1942, right. it showed up about eight in the evening, and it belches out its cargo of um boxes of explosives and saboteurs and the the dudes um as they're rowing to shore they put they are wearing like german military uniforms yeah i didn't fully un- this didn't make a ton of sense to me oh well if you are caught in plain clothes behind enemy lines the rules of war state that you can be shot on sight
4: but if you're caught as a german marine you're then a you're a prisoner just- of war and you have uh, to be I would treated i'd still say that was taking a chance i would have dressed as an American.
3: No, I mean, like, I, I think that was smart.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I, I would have dressed, I would have tried to assimilate, not been like, I'm a German Marine. You, you, you're supposed to take me hostage.
3: Right. But I think
4: G. I Joe would have G. been Joe like, have I'm been from like well, Island.
3: <laughs> yep, come on, let's go. I'm taking you hostage. Whereas if the guy had been like, you're a spy, I am allowed to kill you right here and now.
4: Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I don't agree with that one. But hey. Everyone has their own uh, (laughs) rules when it comes to saboteuring. Okay. So. Sabotaging. Right.
3: Yeah, sabotaging. I was just kidding anyway. And I've learned recently that 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 word is of recent providence. Did you know that? Like it didn't come into use until the beginning of like the 20th century. That makes sense. I would have thought it was a fairly old word.
4: Yeah? Nope. Did we just think of sabotage or did we just start calling it that?
3: Like did they not use to sabotage back in the day? Yeah, I think they just started calling it that. Okay. So, um, the so this is Dasha's team, Team Einz. Team Einz. and they show up on the shore, and they're wearing again German military uniforms. Yeah, which they took off really quickly. Very quickly. Once they got on shore. Yeah, once they saw that, you know, okay, we made it. Yeah. The operation has begun. They changed, right?
4: Yeah, they changed clothes and they started. Uh, I guess they put on their "I Love New York" shirts and they started <laughs> digging big holes in the beach to, di- to bury these uh, munitions right. so they could come back as needed uh, when they wanted to blow something new up. Yes. They can't just carry that stuff around.
3: No, and they needed to just stash everything and go and cool out and make sure that no one was, like, onto them or anything like that and then come back and get it, like you said, as they needed.
4: Yeah, the plan was to meet up for the two teams to meet up in Cincinnati on July 4th. Right. Um, for a baseball game. Is what I'm imagining.
3: Yeah. yeah. The, the Reds versus the Braves.
4: I don't know where the Braves were then. Probably Milwaukee. Sure. Okay.
3: I don't think they moved to Atlanta until the 60s.
4: Yeah, but I was trying to think of Boston, but they were that was
3: long before. So um, the uh, team Einst was, uh, was changing. They had just landed. Yeah. They were in the midst of changing when they were discovered by a Coast Guardsman.
4: Yeah, well, one of them was that uh, Dash climbed over a dune, and while the other guys were still bearing and changing uh, their clothes, and he walked up, and there was a Coast Guard dude, John Cullen, standing right there,
3: and he was like, "Hey, what you doing?" Right, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and the guy was like, "Oh, nothing." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he apparently was kind of handling things when Berger comes over, and Berger thought that uh, so the team Einz had been rowed to shore by two. German sailors. Yeah. And I guess Berger lost track of the German sailors and assumed that they were still there and that for some reason... (laughs) It was only four guys plus the two. (laughs) Right. And that Dosh had climbed over the dune to talk to one of the sailors. Yeah, So Berger comes up and asks a question in German. Yeah. And the Coast Guardsman, John Cullen, is like, "Mm, why are you speaking German? We're at war with Germany. What's going on? Yeah. And at that point, Dosh tells Berger to get out.
4: Yeah, he said, you fool. Go back to the others. Right. And the guy was probably like, what others? <laughs> Wait a minute.
3: And so Dosh's story was that they were um, fishermen, stranded fishermen. Yeah. And before he got really suspicious, Colin, the guy from the Coast Guard, said, well, if you guys are stranded fishermen. That's gotta, my job. <laughs> yeah, we have a Coast Guard like house. Yeah party house, uh-huh. right up the beach. We just ordered some pizza. Come with me. You guys can eat some pizza. Uh-huh. And um, chill out. And is like, well, uh, we don't have any ID on us.
4: Yeah, we don't have fishing permits either. Right. We and don't want to get in trouble.
3: <laughs> so the guy was like, well, you're telling a guy from the Coast Guard <laughs> yeah. that, so you're in trouble first of all. But secondly, uh, that strikes me as weird. About that time, Berger comes up, asks his question in German, and Dash sees the writing on the wall. And tells um, tells Cullen, well, he says, do you have a mother? And Cullen says, yes. And he goes, do you have a father? He says, yes. And Dash says, well, then I wouldn't want to kill you. Yeah. So how about I give you some money? You can forget that this ever happened. And he tries to give him uh, 100 bucks, and Cullen says, nope.
4: Yeah, he says, no, thank you. Um, and he said he ends up giving him $260, and Cullen basically realized that Something was going down, and yeah. I just need to just take this money and act like I'm down with the take, right? And get out of here. So, so he does. So he does. He skedaddles, and then um, oh, but not before. This is a very key piece, actually. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, Dosh grabbed his flashlight before he left, and shined it on his own face, and said, "You will be meeting me in East Hampton sometime soon. Do you know who I am?" And the guy was like, no, I don't know who you are. And he said, my name is George John Davis.
3: Which was a lie. Uh,
4: well, it was his real alias for the mission, though. Hmm. So, like, he actually gave him his real alias. And he said, what's your name? And um, Cullen said Frank Collins. Which, uh, which was a lie. Which was a lie. Pretty quick thinking. And um, basically he, he scrambled back and Dosh came back over and was like, Little scene there, guys. I totally took
3: care of it. Right. <laughs> Should not be a big deal. Don't even worry about it. Pay the guy 260 bucks. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. So everybody finished burying these boxes, which they did. And um, Colin ran off and went and grabbed some of his fellow Coast Guardsmen. By the time they got back, Team Einz had left.
4: Yeah, they went and caught a train.
3: But apparently, and this is another thing. So the U-boat that dropped off Team Eins had grounded itself on a sandbar. And was sitting there like trying to get back out to sea because dawn was coming. You just rocked
4: back and forth in your chair. Was that? That's what it looked like. Was that the method? They had all the guys in there?
3: Yeah, just moving (laughs) side to side. To the right, Right, exactly. Yeah. And finally, the tide came in just enough for them to dislodge themselves and go back out to sea just in time. But apparently, um, Colin and the other Coast Guardsmen who came back caught sight of this U-boat heading back out to sea. Yeah, not good. Right? Yeah. No. German U boat off the coast of Long Island just ran into some guys who are speaking German and yeah. tried to pay you off. <laughs> sure. And then now, all of a sudden, in the moonlight, you can see the ghostly outlines of four freshly dug holes in the sand. Yeah. Let's see what's in there. Yeah, I wonder if um, I couldn't find, I saw that
4: about the boat being stuck, but I couldn't find if that was like, if they could have gotten away, you know, it could have all changed. They might not have been that suspicious.
3: I think that Cullen was, he was on it appropriately
4: anyway. suspicious. Yeah, he was definitely coming back. But seeing the U-boat was just icing on the cake. Exactly. I guess. Okay. Yep. So uh, the other dudes had hopped a—well, they dug up the holes and they found the stuff and said, okay, um, this is a huge deal.
3: Yeah, we just found a trove of explosives in yeah. German military uniforms buried on the beach like 60 miles from New York.
4: Yeah, so— Toot Sweet, by 1023 that morning, those boxes were uh, in the office of New York City uh, police captain John Bayless, who then promptly got in touch with the FBI, and by noon that day, 13 hours after they had arrived, uh, the FBI had all that stuff in custody, and J. Edgar Hoover said there's a... uh, We need to get a blackout on the news so these guys don't get wise to this. And we need to get the largest manhunt in FBI history underway.
3: And they did. And we will explore that and all the ways the FBI got some lucky breaks on this right after these messages.
0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling... Is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Jean. Eugene Fodor. Jean was we'll it.
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
1: So you hide the books, Jean, and vlastor on the business. I understand now. it's a wise man. Uh, marries a wiser woman.
0: But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! <laughs>
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: That's right.
4: All right. So Team Eints, let's uh, recap here. They uh, are in Manhattan. Yeah, they go shopping at Macy's, of course. Yeah, they got a lot of cash.
3: All they had with them was the clothes, the civilian clothes they brought, and all that cash. Yeah, that was it. Everything else is buried back at the beach, but is now in FBI custody, unbeknownst to these guys.
4: That's right. So they go shopping at Macy's. They split into. They said, "Let's split up into pairs because that makes sense." Uh, Kieran and uh, Hank checked into the hotel Martinique. Dosh and Berger uh, went to the Governor Clinton Hotel.
3: Governor Bill Clinton.
4: And uh I don't think so. And um unless he was named after the hotel. <laughs> oh yeah.
3: <laughs> you never know. That's why he always wanted to be governor.
4: So apparently um Dosh and Berger met uh he, he summoned Berger to his hotel room up on a tall floor and opened the window and said, I've got a, a a plan and I'm gonna tell you about it. And if you're on board, you're on board. But if you're not then one of us is leaving through the door, one of us is leaving through the window. He basically threw down the gauntlet. To Burger? To Burger.
3: I oh wow, I didn't realize that.
4: Yeah, and so Burger, he basically said I would like to turn and saboteur sabotage <laughs> the sabotage. Right. And go against Germany. And because
3: America's kind of great. So Dosh was going to kill Burger if Burger didn't go along with it.
4: That's what he said. And apparently Burger had the choice too. Like or you can, you can I can defeat you and throw you out the window.
3: Or and, you can triumph and be the living victor.
4: Yeah. So I think Berger was just uh on board. And yeah. uh, they said that in this article that um Dash probably was telling the truth that he was he was really this was his idea from the beginning.
3: So here's the here's the question, like Historically speaking, Dash has been uh, seen as a genuine betrayer of this mission. Sure, but when he became a genuine betrayer of the mission is is at issue still. According yeah. to this HistoryNet article, either for, he he knew it before they even landed. Yeah. And that that is why he showed his face and gave his real alias to right. John Cullen on the beach. Which makes sense. Or his encounter with John Cullen on the beach rattled him enough that he was like, this is never going to work. We're <laughs> already We're already dead in the water. That's a quick turn. So now I'm going to go ahead and betray it. Yeah, I
4: say that. He was in it from the beginning. That's what that's my feeling.
3: Because he was snoozing in spy school?
4: Uh, I don't know. It seems like a really quick, like they just land on the beach. Five minutes later, he meets a guy, and he's like, "Uh, wait a minute. It's off. I'm going to betray Germany. Right. It just seemed, I don't know, a little too hasty.
3: Or maybe he had nerves of
4: spaghetti. Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Cooked spaghetti even.
4: So uh, he says, here's the plan. The, on this Monday... This is Dosh to Burger, right? Yeah, he said, on Monday, uh, I'm gonna go to... Did, had they closed the window
3: by now? Yeah, I
4: think so. They went to dinner and everything was good. <laughs> uh-huh. And he said, I'm gonna go to uh, going go to to go Washington and meet with J. Edgar Hoover. This should be pretty easy to get that meeting.
3: The man himself. Yeah. I hear he wears nothing but a cape around the <laughs> office.
4: And he said, you go back to the other two guys and just sort of occupy them for a little while while I'm going to D.C. and requesting a meeting with the FBI, the head of the
3: FBI. Right. Um, so... Berger says, let's do this. Dosh says, Okay, it's Sunday. And Dosh doesn't make his way to DC until Thursday morning. Yes. Instead, he goes so remember he was a waiter in America.
4: Well he called the, he called the FBI first, at least.
3: Right. And the reason why he called first is he was a little worried because apparently back in um in at training camp in the woods, cop, Falter Cop, had said, you guys don't need to worry, we have a man on the inside of the FBI. So, um, Dosh was worried that if he called, or if he just showed up at FBI headquarters... He'd talk to that one guy. Right. Out of all the FBI guys, he would have that that level of bad luck. Which, from what I understand, that was something, that was a good concern for him to have. Um, So, he called the New York Bureau first and said, I'm a German dude, I've got information for J. Edgar Hoover, tell him I'm coming. And then he hung up, and he went to a club for waiters, and then played pinochle for like two straight days.
4: Yeah, I uh, I think he was probably gambling. Uh, That's what I think, too. Because if I'm not mistaken with
3: the math, he ended up with more money than he came with. (laughs) Oh,
4: Really? Yeah.
3: So he went and gambled with sabotage money? I think so. Man, that guy is some serious cojones. He's pretty awesome.
4: Uh, So eventually he said, all right, I got to go to Washington. Um, This pinochle game has dried up. So he hopped on the uh,
3: Acela Express for Washington. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Which I highly recommend, by the way. Man, train travel is awesome. It was great. Regional train travel is a delight. Such
4: a delight. And especially from uh, Boston to New York, you just ride along the coastline there, Mm -hmm. and it's just lovely. It is lovely. Sailboats and uh, Cape Cod houses (laughs) on points. Yep. Lobster rolls. Yeah. It's nice, good stuff. All right, so Dosh has arrived by train. Finally, Uh, by this point, uh, Team Svi has landed.
3: Right, these are the pros. Yeah, they show up in Florida, and they're like,
4: "Let's do this for real." And I imagine Pontevedra Beach in 1943. It was a pretty low key scenario, (laughs) for sure. You know,
3: yeah, I would think so.
4: So they are uh, 25 miles south of Jacksonville. They bury their crates, no sweat. uh, Hop on a bus, go to Jacksonville. Um, They split up from that point. Two went to Cincinnati. Two went to Chicago.
3: Yeah, and like. I mean,
4: they no were doing fuss, okay. no
3: muss. Yeah. There wasn't like any, no one was calling the FBI. Like they were in it to win it, basically.
4: Yeah, why they should have done, Team I should have done their recon beforehand. The U-boat should have not pulled up next to a Coast Guard station, first of all. That would have been one thing.
3: Yeah, because that Coast Guard station was like
4: half a mile away. Yeah, it was there. All right, maybe they had bad
3: intel. Yeah. So, uh, Dosh gets to DC, checks into the Mayflower Hotel. Yeah, this is the same day that Kerling's group lands in Pontevedra. Yeah, it's a big day, huge
4: day. Okay, uh, and he in DC said, "All right, I'm going to call the FBI again because got to meet with Hoover." And he reached out to a, a Dwayne Trainer, and of course, Trainer says, "You know, this is probably not a legitimate call. We get these kind of weird calls all the time, but just in case, um,
3: let's go pick him up."
4: Yeah, let's let's see what's going on It's
3: here. a slow day at headquarters. Yeah, exactly. So they go and pick up the German, and they bring him to the Justice Department. And um, Dash said that he was basically bounced from agent to agent. Every, he was kind of a hot potato. Nobody wanted to deal with him. And finally, he convinced these guys enough to end up in the office of uh, Mickey Ladd, who uh, was running the manhunt for the spies. And the... Head of the spies was now sitting in his office, yeah, telling him he's the
4: head of the spies,
3: <laughs> and he still didn't quite believe him, yeah, until Dash said, "Oh yeah, well, here let me show you this, and dumped out eighty four thousand dollars on um Ladd's desk, yeah, and Ladd said, "I'm so pleased you came in today, right <laughs> come with me,
4: yeah so dash here's here's his idea is I want to talk to Hoover himself. Uh, because I'm going to be a, a hero, and I might even get, like, a medal of honor out of this.
3: Right. Like, maybe J. Edgar will have me over to his house for dinner. Yeah. Who knows what could come of this? Well, Ticker sure. tape parade? Uh-huh. They threw those all the time back then. Yeah. Um. So they the FBI gets him talking. He does get to meet Hoover briefly. Sure. But um, a couple of other agents take his uh, deposition, which lasts for 13 hours. Yeah. Before he finished, he had told them about Burger and where Burger was and they went and picked up Burger.
4: Yeah, he like while
3: he was still telling
4: him the story, they yeah. were already on Bet Burger's hotel staking him out.
3: Yeah, so they b- before they picked up Burger, they were staking him out like you said, and they watched Burger go meet uh, Kieran and Hank and so they just arrested all three of them and all, all of a sudden they had Team Einz in custody. Within like a, a day of um, Dash walking into FBI headquarters, yeah, it didn't go so well for Team Eitz. No, no. So well, uh, when when the team leader betrays you, yeah, like yeah, you're you're in trouble. You're toast.
4: So uh, on June 22nd, Hoover uh, wrote to FDR and said, "You know what, sir? We've we've caught all the members of this group that landed on Long Island. Pretty great, huh? And FDR. we are awesome." Um, he didn't mention that the guy turned himself in and told him where everyone was. Right. And uh, so FDR was just thought that Hoover
3: had done, like, a bang-up job, basically. Yeah, he's like, way, way to go. Way to do your job. Exactly. He lied, pretty much. So um, Dash had no real leads or anything about Team... Svi. Svi. Yeah. But he did have a handkerchief. That's right. That had contacts on invisible ink. And surprisingly, he hadn't blown his nose in it Right. at this point. But... He couldn't remember how you were supposed to get the invisible ink to become visible. No. Luckily, the FBI had a crack team of lab techs on this thing, and uh, they figured it out. And now, all of a sudden, they had the names and addresses of all of the German contacts for these teams right there in their hands, thanks to Dosh.
4: Yeah. Right? So, they were all, obviously, staked out, just waiting on Team Eins. Or, I'm sorry, Team Svi, to meet up with these people.
3: Right, which they did. But... First, Team Spy did some other weird stuff. Like Herbert Haupt, he was in Chicago, where, again, he'd lived since he was five. Mm-hmm. And Haupt decided that he would buy a uh, Pontiac car. Yeah. He, had, he went to his parents' house. Right. And Told his, his dad everything. Yeah, had his dad buy him this car. Yep. And um, he proposed to his girlfriend. He Remember, he had left during the war, and he was an able-bodied man over age 18. Yeah. And so the local draft board um, wanted to know where he was. So he drops by FBI headquarters to clear up his draft problem says, I'm back. Sorry, I've already registered with my local draft board. No need to track me anymore. I'm just an all-American boy. Yeah. And um, the FBI was like, yeah, sure. Thank you for coming by. Right. And then tailed them on the way out. Yeah. And then he led them to at least one other team member, right?
4: Yeah, uh, and while this was going on, uh, Curling and Werner Thiel went to New York um, and met up with a friend named Helmut Leiner uh, because they wanted to have sex with a lady. <laughs> and so Liner hooked him up with the mis- his mistress said, Here, have sex with her. And he said, Great, thanks. And he ended up uh, traveling with that woman, uh, Curling did, Mm-hmm. And within a couple of days after Dosh surrendered, um, they spotted Curling uh, because they were trailing him at a bar uh, where he met with Thiel, and they arrested both of those guys. Right. So two down on Team Svi. Herbert Haupt—I'm sorry, three down at this point.
3: Right. Haupt was taken down in Chicago.
4: Yeah, the only one left at this point was Herman Neubauer.
3: Right, and Neubauer spent his time uh, in—was it in New York? Uh— I think he was in Chicago. Okay, you're probably right. Um, he just went to the movies over and over again. Yep. <laughs> That's what he did. He, he was apparently lonely, so he sought out some friends of his wife whom he hadn't really met before. Yeah. Um, he told them everything. Told them everything. <laughs> he gave them his money for safekeeping. Unbelievable. But kept enough to go to the movies a bunch. So basically, he yeah. kept a dollar. Right. <laughs> and um, well, Plus popcorn. Okay, a dollar fifty. Yeah, and uh, then he um, was—I think he just come back from the movies when the FBI picked him up, right? Yep. So Dash, remember, is sure that like he's going to be feted as a hero. Mm-hmm. That J. Edgar Hoover is probably like thinking about him right then. Yeah, he's just like basically like Ralphie. In a Christmas story, just daydreaming about, like, how he's going to be carried around on everyone's shoulders. He probably should have been. So— I mean, he's the reason
4: why this went south. Because he said, you know what? I'm tr- I'm siding with America. Sure.
3: The thing is, Hoover— He didn't care. J. Edgar Hoover, not only did he not care, yeah. Hoover was taking the credit for all of this unraveling. Oh, yeah, so he had he, to bury this. Right. He couldn't let Dosh be known as this guy who had come and um, given him this whole thing on a platter. Right. Or else Hoover would look like an idiot. Yeah. And Dosh might very well have been hailed as at least a, a slimy yeah. collaborator sure. rather than a criminal. <laughs> yeah. After everybody was rounded up, the FBI arrested Dosh. And Dosh must have been quite surprised by this.
4: Well, yeah, they arrested him, but they said, hey, just go along with this. You'll get a full presidential pardon after six months. Oh, really? Just
3: sort of play along with the arrest. And he was like, oh, okay. I see. So put me in the jail with the other guys, so yeah. they don't know. Yeah, exactly. He and didn't And Hoover get, was like, yeah, yeah sure.
4: Well, because that job with Hoover's plan to keep it all quiet still. Exactly. It was working out great for Hoover.
3: It didn't work out great for Dosh or the others, Chuck. No. So um, FDR wanted to make sure that he could get the death penalty and that uh, this could be kept quiet. So he uh, he formed a military tribunal. To try these guys. And it was the first one since um, Lincoln had been assassinated.
4: Yeah. It was a big deal. So uh, the prosecutor was Attorney General Francis Biddle. Uh, Chief defense was Colonel Kenneth Royal. Um, the defense argued initially for a civilian trial. That was quickly scrapped. And they said, no, nope, we're going to move forward with the tribunal. Yep. And uh, held the trial at the Justice Department in Washington uh, during the month of July 1942. And basically said, we we know the whole there's not going to be much of a trial, fellas. Right. We know everything because you told us everything. Exactly. You are coming here to sabotage and blow up our junk, and you're in big trouble.
3: Right, and the prosecutors sought the death penalty as expected, um, but it was up to FDR to decide when and where. And to do that, he had to have a transcript of the trial. And when he got this transcript of the trial, it, it, it became obvious that Hoover hadn't really done anything. But yeah, apparently, I mean, FDR never called them out on it in public.
4: No, which was a nice thing to do, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Because that would have just been further embarrassment for like the whole country, you know? Yeah. So they kept that quiet. But um, at this point, it was news all over the country. They weren't keeping it quiet with the press. No. Uh, and the American public was way in favor of the death penalty. Uh, in fact, there was an open letter published in one newspaper calling for them to be fed to Gargantua, the gorilla at the Ringling Brothers Circus. <laughs>
3: Because that's fair to Gargantua too. Yeah, eat those Germans. Well, instead, uh they electrocuted six of them on August eighth at the district jail in Washington, DC. That's right. Um, including Herbert Haupt, who was just like, I just wanted a Pontiac. Yeah. I just wanted to go see my parents. <laughs> right.
4: Uh Berger and uh and Dash were spared the death penalty because they basically had a hard time proving in court that they didn't, you know.
3: Fully intend to betray the operation. Yeah,
4: exactly. Right. So they did not get electrocuted. Um, they were sentenced uh, Burger to hard labor for the rest of his life. Yeah. And uh, Dash was given 30 years, but President Truman commuted
3: their sentences, uh, released them, and deported them. Had them shipped to um, West Germany. Yeah. West Berlin. Said, don't come back. Nope. Get out.
4: And uh, the other guys were buried in a potter's field, by the way, outside Washington.
3: Yes, which is now um, the D.C. Municipal Water Treatment Plant. Oh, really? Yeah. Where they were buried? Yeah. Just right now they're part of the system, (laughs) I guess. Um, And so Dosh and Berger go back to Germany, and Berger starts like feeding the media— The story. Yeah, basically five years later. Right, and blames Dosh for the deaths of these other six German patriots who were saboteurs, right? And Dosh tried to publicly clear himself. He first sought a pardon in America so that he could come back. Yeah, he really wanted to get out of Germany. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, And uh, America said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to pardon you. We're still mad at you. Germany said, we're mad at you, too. And so he just kind of faded out of the public spotlight. Yep, he uh, he ended up dying in
4: 1992 at the age of 89, and I didn't see any follow up for uh, Burger for Burger. No. Yeah. I think he wasn't quite as vilified
3: as Dosh was. Right, for sure. But that was not the last time the Germans sent saboteurs ashore. There was at least one other ill-fated attempt in 1944. Another German submarine. These are expensive boats, man. Yeah. They're, they are really taking a massive risk to drop off a couple of saboteurs. Yeah. But they did it again off, um, off of Maine. Yep. In a snowstorm. And two uh, former American residents, German-Americans, um, were, were sent off under the Maine coast in a snowstorm. They were seen by a local Boy Scout using a compass— during the snowstorm on the side of the road, and the Boy Scout was suspicious, so he traced their tracks all the way back to the shoreline where they come out of nowhere. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to call the police. So nice. these guys The Boy got... Scouts actually caught these guys? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, what's ironic is one of these German-American uh, saboteurs was a Boy Scout himself. So uh-huh. it was like Boy Scout on Boy Scout tattling. Wow. Um, and uh, they got picked up immediately, and f- as far as everybody knows, that's the last time Germany ever tried that.
4: Yeah, I think the idea was that Hitler um, was like, this This is embarrassing. Yeah,
3: let's just focus on the rocket program. Yeah,
4: we can't keep sending guys to the United States who immediately get there and
3: start doing stupid things. Right. Giving themselves up. Yeah. Going to see mom and dad. And seeing him movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Playing Pinochle. So that's it. That's the story of the time the Nazis invaded Florida and New York and Maine. Uh If you want to know more about that, check out HistoryNet. Check out Damn Interesting. Check out all sorts of stuff. Yes. Just search it. You'll Mm -hmm. find all sorts of cool things on it. I would not look for the
4: movie coming soon to a theater near you.
3: No, the third act, non-existent. No. Not really. No, it's just kind of a letdown. Yeah. Doesn't end with a bang. No. Ends with Germany being mad at them. And America, too. Uh, Let's see. I think uh, I said Germany's mad, Mm -hmm. which means it's time for Listener Mail. (laughs)
4: Uh, I'm gonna call this a cute, our cutest, youngest fan, and it includes an audio clip. Uh, oh yeah! Hey guys, did you hear this? Yes, it's pretty great. Yes, my son Archer is two and a half years old, just two and a half. We listen to podcasts together while I rock him to sleep at nap time and bedtime. Uh, anytime he's tired, he says, "Mommy, let's go Archer's room and listen to podcast." Uh, I usually rotate between stuff you should know and other how stuff works podcasts. He's never seemed to have a preference until about two weeks ago when I uh, put another podcast on. He said, no, Mommy, not that podcast. Just Stuff You Know, the red one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are his favorite, which is fine with me, and I have even attached a voice recording of him requesting your podcast. It was not rehearsed, mind you. It's just me asking him before his nap time today. And that is from Shauna, and Shauna gave us permission to hear from Archer. So let's go ahead and play that clip right now.
1: Okay, are you ready to take a nap? Yeah. Do you want to listen to a podcast? Yeah. Okay, which podcast? Stuff You Know. Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. Okay. Aww.
3: Wow. Pretty cute. Holy cow. Kid knows uh, his stuff.
4: Unbelievable. So, Archer, if you can understand what's going on here <laughs> by the sound coming out of the speakers.
3: We know you don't yet form memories. But hopefully this episode will be a documentation. of
4: it. That's right, Archer. So good luck in life. You are off to a great start. And now take your nap, little buddy. Nice.
3: Well, if you want to share with us how your cute kid loves Stuff You Should Know, we love hearing that, right, Chuckers? We do. Uh, You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
2: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more
0: podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your
2: favorite shows.
4: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
0: The big take from Bloomberg news brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
2: We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets